Hey there, welcome. <clears throat> uh, it's uh, mid-January and uh, we're coming up to uh, our Hatha Yoga teacher training, which is going to start in, uh, in a couple of weeks, in the beginning of February. There's still a couple of places uh, left. And um, I haven't done a Hatha training for a long, long time because of uh, COVID. So we're back on the Hatha train, uh, back on the Yang practice train. And um, uh, it'd be great to have you with us. We are going to jump into the functional approach, which is so different um, to so many ways that uh, yoga is practiced out there. Functional approach is uh, really about how each pose and every pose uh, has a real intent to it, of stressing and stimulating particular tissues so that in a well-rounded practice over a uh, one day or a week, um, anyone who practices can feel it in their body and in the way that they like. Uh, yoga has a massive uh, image problem often around um, how yoga poses are supposed to look. And I often hear so often uh, many people feel they don't belong in a yoga class. Functional approach changes that um, by flipping around that a yoga pose is not about what it looks. There's no right or wrong way to do a pose, but there is a right way to feel it. So uh, come and join us. Uh, drop us an email, drop us a, uh, an Instagram message or whatever, and um, if you're interested to know more. As I've been thinking about that, um, and I've been... Uh, uh, getting back into kind of the Hatha mode after a lot of yin <laughs> through COVID, had a lot of yin. And as I enter my 49th year on this planet, I began to reflect on how my practices changed. Um, the Hatha training that I offer now compared to five years ago is, is very, very different because my practices has changed. And um, change is, change is uh, inevitable. Um, we love our yoga practice. Uh, we really do. Um, when I travel uh, and when I speak to other yogis, um, yoga is a lifesaver. Yoga is what gets them sometimes up in the morning. Yoga is... Um, about back pain and uh, neck pain and shoulder pain and weight management. But it's also about all the uh, psycho-emotional aspects of uh, yoga and the endorphin hits and the vagus nerve stimulation and the friends and the community and people spending time with people who are like-minded. And, um, uh, but, but the uh, yoga practice that you have now may not be uh, good for you in two years' time, in five years' time, in 10 years' time. And as I look back at my uh, movement and my spiritual practice over the last 20 plus years, actually, <laughs> I'm looking at my notes. Jeez, it's more like 30 plus years. Whoops. <laughs> uh, it's changed so, so much. Um, and it's not like I planned it like that. 
at all. Um, although looking back a little bit, I did. But I was speaking to, uh, actually I was in a yoga studio um, just before lockdown happened. And um, uh, I had a discussion after a very difficult um, Ashtanga practice um, uh, with uh, two people who were just coming out the door. And they were saying like, man, I'm not sure. I'm not sure how much longer I can keep this up. That was a, that was a killer. They were both, um, both in their early uh, 50s, two women. And, um, and, uh, and they kind of said bye and just kind of wandered down the street going, yeah. Mm. And uh, they, they sounded like they're really at a loss of, of what to do. But because the yoga practice is such a, such a bastion and such a safe place for most of us, um, that changing that, letting it go, um, is often very difficult. Um, Yogananda, one of his best sayings is, um, it's good to be born in a church, but don't die in one. That saying um, that I heard from one of my teachers, Paul Grilly, um, he used that as an example of, don't be afraid of modifying, updating, changing your practice um, as life changes, as your needs change, as your interests change, as your priorities change. Sometimes we get stuck way too long. And something that helped us maybe two years ago, three years ago, is now not helping us, maybe even boring. Even more, sometimes it can be uh, uh, injurious. As I look back on my um, practices, I've made that mistake several times. I began, you know, if I think about back to my, <laughs> my movement um, history, I, I was a big um, squash player back in my teens. My parents were both squash players. So um, I was a little bit shy as a kid, and um, they made me play squash. So squash, if you don't know, is a little bouncy ball in a room and you hit the ball against the wall and it comes back at you and then you run some more. And uh, so that was kind of the family game. And then uh, football, football or soccer, as it's commonly known, um, I was the goalkeeper pretty much because I was the smallest kid on the, on the pitch and um, didn't run very fast. So I thought the best place to go was where you didn't have to run that much. Um, I actually ended up being a pretty good uh, soccer goalkeeper. I have a famous save where uh, somebody charged at me and I charged at them and they tried to lob the ball over me. I ran back and just got my fingertips to the ball and tipped it over the crossbar. And uh, I pretty much quit after that. <laughs> that was my uh, crowning glory. And um, then I went to university. Uh, university I did under uh, undergraduate Chinese and much of that time was spent in Taiwan. And that's really where my, um, my, my 
eyes were opened. Um, Taiwan uh, not uh, impacted too much, if at all, by uh, the massive changes which overtook communist China in the 20th century. And when I was in Taiwan in the 1990s, um, there were still many, you could wander through parks and uh, you could wander through, um, well, just the neighborhoods. And there were uh, Qigong and Tai Chi. Um, I guess you call them a dojo, uh, the master. And um, uh, I ended up doing a, that's where I started my uh, Qigong, um, Qigong uh, career. Um, my, I was just learning uh, a new language. I was learning Mandarin Chinese. It was very stressful and a lot of uh, Koreans and Japanese were in my class and Koreans and Japanese uh, students pretty much at that time, not so much Koreans these days, but at that time, they could almost basically write Chinese already. So they were just having to learn the um, spoken language, which, and they had very interesting Korean and Japanese accents in Mandarin. But I had to learn everything because we were learning to write as well. And uh, one big thing that the Koreans and students did was uh, karaoke. So if I look back at my exercise time in those days, it was uh, Qigong in the mornings, school in the mornings and in the, uh, into the early afternoons, and then karaoke for like hours <laughs> in, the, in the evenings and um, like daily. Uh, I racked up a pretty good, and I think I could still uh, belt out a pretty good um, portfolio of Mandarin 1990s pop songs. Uh, but unknowingly, that was great for my breath. Um, and then we walked a lot. Taiwan has a lot of mountains. So every weekend we go up and take a bus into the mountains and drink tea all day, but walking from the bus stop to these little tea huts or little tea restaurants um, would often be half an hour, 40 minutes, an hour to get there in the sweltering hot in the uh, 1990s Taiwan, still the same, I think, 30 something, late 30s bacon hot. And so because life was so busy, Qigong was my kind of go-to out, out of the stress of, uh, of high school and, and university. And they actually ended up found that uh, the university had Qigong um, groups and uh, clubs as well. Um, so walking and, and Qigong, when I graduated and moved to Hong Kong, Hong Kong now is 8 million people, big city, and, um, and uh, highly stressful, highly stressful. I uh, probably, eh, yeah, pretty, pretty much the most stressful time of my, of my life. I arrived there with pretty much no money and I uh, had to get a job, and Hong Kong is and still is, but at the time were, had some of the highest rents uh, per square meter in the world. And um, so me and my girlfriend at the time, now my wife, uh, we were, she got a job first. And I, my first job was in a fish and chip restaurant as a waiter, not great pay uh, and not very good fellow workers. Um, <laughs> basically spent their time in bars. 
uh, and then in fish and chip restaurant. And uh, so I was highly stressed uh, there. My girlfriend got a better job than me uh, to begin with. And um, she was like in an office, she's a graphic designer. And, um, and um, so for a couple of years, um, we, I think my Qigong and any exercise as you're trying to just survive went out of the, out of the window, but we together were both very stressed. And uh, one of the wonderful things about, um, to, uh, about Hong Kong, and I hope it's still the case, I'll be visiting there this year, um, is the huge Tibetan community. Uh, and the Tibetan community included a lot of um, Tibetan tradition monks and nuns, not only from Tibet, but uh, British, American, Australian, French, German, Austrian, African, um, Tibetan trained monks and nuns. And so at that time, as I got out of the fish and chip business and I uh, got a suit, um, uh, meditation became my principal practice outside of, outside of work and outside of uh, exploring Hong Kong at the time. And uh, the tradition that I was in was it's called Dzogchen, which is a tantric uh, style. And uh, a lot of visualization, a lot of energy work, and a lot of very long lectures, theoretical lectures, um, listening to uh, what the aims and goals of meditation uh, were. And um, that hit the mark because uh, in Hong Kong, you know, you're working from half eight till 6.37 at night. So 11 hour uh, days. And um, meditation was at that time really good um, um, fix for me. And that continued uh, through my thirties. I added on Qigong again, I found a great American Yang style um, Tai Chi uh, teacher. Then I began to teach uh, Yang style Tai Chi as well. Um, and so what had become from like a, a spiritual idea and a spiritual practice turned into this now quite physical aspect. Qigong and Tai Chi can be quite physical, but then we had kids. And I decided to study my master's in um, martial art cinema history. Hong Kong was a great place uh, to do that. Pretty much the center of, you know, Jackie Chan and Donnie Yen, Cynthia Rothrock, um, just to name a few, Jet Li, uh, Jean-Claude Van Damme, saw him a couple of times um, bumping around um, Hong Kong, um, and met, to name but a few. Um, obviously all very physical um, people. And um, uh, this was the time when I began to get into, uh, because that was so intense. Uh, and uh, Qigong, Qigong has always been practiced outside. And I went through a stage of just finding it way too hot. And so yoga, uh, which was becoming popular in my early thirties, in Hong Kong was a chance to get inside. And um, I got attracted to uh, some very charismatic um, teachers. Um, 
and uh, the Anusara yoga style um, was getting close to its zenith, uh, getting close to its peak. Anusara yoga, if you haven't heard it, um, it's kind of like uh, vinyasa on Red Bull, I suppose. Um, a lot of very, very muscular uh, work and a lot of backbends. You basically turned everything that you could into a backbend. If you couldn't backbend it, you were trying to backbend. And uh, Hong Kong people, at least the ones that I were, they're all way bendier than, than me. Uh, but I worked pretty hard, daily practice. And I had a very strong job. We had kids. And so and I had a bad back. Um, so very strong getting out of my head, getting out of uh, corporate shenanigans, um, the Anasara style hit the, hit the mark at that time. And um, uh, I kind of dropped the meditation. I needed something stronger, like a, a stronger coffee. And, um, uh, and I practiced that really wholeheartedly for many, many years. Um, never really came to being, I would say, quote unquote, good at it uh, because um, because of what I learned later when in my anatomy study, I bumped into Paul Grilly, uh, now having had uh, fairly young children. And the Anasara style was stressing me out. My job was stressing me out. I was, uh, me and my wife decided that she would look after the kids while I would look after the finances of the family, which is a great decision, by the way. Um, highly recommend that if you having someone there for your children all of the time, if you can figure that out. Um, you know, our, our children are now getting close uh, to not needing us too much in many ways, many more, but uh, it's been a wonderful ride. And my dive into very physical yoga kept me, I, I remember a lot of my uh, colleagues uh, working very hard, drinking very hard, um, and more. <laughs> Let's just leave it at that. And something in, I think in my 30s, just said, I, I don't think I can do that forever. Um, and uh, very physical, very intense, very sweaty. Like I used to have <laughs> in Hong Kong, it's like 90% humidity. So some people don't sweat at all. But I remember I used to have to take in that began with like a towel and uh, used to be like a pool around my mat. And then I figured out you could get kind of these grippy towels where, um, where the towel sticks to the mat and it absorbs a lot of the you that was coming off me, like the sweat and the pool didn't happen. People appreciated that. But I, you know, I was a walking uh, bog coming out of these two an hour, half hour, really intense, um, practices and um, still keep in touch with many of those people and, and those teachers and love them. But I couldn't continue uh, practicing like that. And uh, I met Paul Grilly, the kind of godfather of modern yin. And when I met him and practiced with him, I realized that a lot of the uh, more close to kind of the warm-up qigong practices that we've done he was calling yin yoga. And um, I'd been practicing them for, for a while, but I hadn't called them anything 
formal and of come, of course, now yin has boomed, taken off, and is one of the most popular styles on the planet. And in a stressed out world, it makes absolute sense. Um, by now, I've picked up Cantonese and uh, lovely language, Cantonese. Um, uh, so passionate and angry and loud sounding. If you ever hear Chinese people in a restaurant talking loud, it's probably Cantonese people. A lot of ayah and oh and too and uh, compared to Mandarin, which is a little bit more reserved, generally speaking. And um, so uh, yin, yin and uh, the understanding of variable anatomy, which I talk about on this podcast a fair amount. We meet people who, who are experts in the science of how our bone shapes are different. Really saved me. If I had continued practicing Anasara style that hard, that regularly, I'd probably have had surgery, multiple surgeries by now. Um, you know, over and over regular dynamic compression of bone on bone tissue. Some people can do it. The, the teacher that still teaching slightly changed his, his practice. I practiced him a while, a while back. Uh, but if I had continued to practice like that, I would have, uh, yeah, I would be in severe physical uh, injury. Um, and, uh, the way that Paul described yin and the way that he presented yin often was as a preparation for and a complement to meditation. So now things kind of came uh, full circle. I became a teacher trainer. Um, I ran a yoga studio in Hong Kong and, you know, murdered people or not murdered, but beasted people in yoga studios for many a year lots of sweat on their bodies. And I enjoyed looking at them <laughs> doing that. And, uh, and um, as I begin to now um, approach my 50s, um, I notice a, a shift again. Um, if you study anatomy and how the body changes, um, you know, teacher training, you'll know that uh, the body changes. Um, and if you're an older person, you know, not in your 20s or 30s or even 40s listening to this, you know that your body's changed. When I was in my 20s, like uh, karaoke all night long, <laughs> almost literally. Um, and, you know, I'm sure any, anyone, anyone's done these kinds of things when they're young. Um, but uh, our bodies change and our needs change. And back to kind of the, the, uh, the title of, of this uh, podcast, um, there are many poses over the last decade I've had to let go. Um, not because I'm not trying enough, not because I'm um, not working enough, but my body just, uh, they, they feel awful. Um, uh, I feel mainly compression in my body uh, where uh, bone tissue hits other bone tissue. Um, 
So I have to learn to pull back, um, which in yoga has, I mean, that could be its whole other uh, discussion topic. What does it mean? How deep should you go? How far should you go? What are the aims of yoga? Particularly as the body ages. Um, and uh, so now as I you know, approach, I'm in the last year now of my 40s, um, my practice is kind of, is probably the fullest that it's ever been. Uh, I include meditation. Maybe meditation is, is the, is the foundation of my daily practice. And uh, most days include some yin. And hatha practice uh, has declined as the dominant, um, uh, as the dominant um, modality, if you like. Still cardiovascular health is important and breathing is important. I have other ways of breathing and other ways of uh, practicing uh, cardiovascular health. I particularly enjoy uh, rowing and um, uh, and swimming and and getting back into the walking in in uh, Scotland. Fantastic mountain scenery. You can walk for hours, and they're pretty intense. Like I've come back and it's been it's it's a <laughs> it's a it's a strong workout. Legs are fried for a couple of days. So. Now my modality has changed. Uh, I do look, I do look, you know, around as I look back and look at some people around people I know who are still practicing as hard as 20 years ago, 30 years ago. For some of them, this is fine. They often just have the bones for um, that. But for some of them, it's not fine. For some of them, they look, they look uh, tired. They look like they're pushing it too much. And um, yin-yang theory, Chinese medicine uh, theory, Chinese medicine theory proposes that as we age, uh, the creative life force, the intelligent life force in our body, chi, prana for you Indian yoga people, um, declines. And uh, you must manage that like, a, like, a, uh, like your bank balance or um, like the relationships that you have in, in life. You must um, balance this. And there are different ways of doing that. You don't only have to push and have great cardiovascular health. In fact, there are good studies saying that um, people who exercise too much with what seems like very low heart rate beats per minute actually have an exhausted heart. And um, the prognosis for their lives is not great. Um, Of course, there are the other people we've hardly talked about today who barely move at all. <laughs> that has been me in some parts of my life. 
and uh, to all you people would love come and do something it's uh a lot of the a lot of the aches and pains uh physically but also emotionally um, you can get great results by moving movement is really medicine motion is lotion a lot of these kind of sayings absolutely true so if you are at a time in your life where uh, I would hate my yoga practice to become a chore or something that I had to do and get it over with. Yoga, of course, at its um, heart is, is about being, growing the relationship with yourself, with the, often unconscious aspects of yourself. So if it's something to be get up, got done just because, well, that's a, almost a red flag. Um, but if you are not sure whether your practice is good for you anymore, go and do something really different. And some uh, like crazy different, like a dance, or swimming, or qigong, or tai chi, or if you're if you're a long time yin yogi, go and do something very yang. If you do too much of and another that's another big thing. Only doing one thing generally will only train your muscles or whatever tissues you're working with in one way, and the body, of course, has and requires more than one way to educate it and to teach it and to allow it to, um, to be as robust and as healthy as possible. So don't be afraid to change. It can be uh, very emotional sometimes to let go of practices which um, have served you wonderfully, maybe have even got you out of you know, traumatic experiences in life. My Anuzara yoga practice got me through um, I was working in uh, Silicon Valley technology companies at the time. It's my, my job supporting my family. Anasara Yoga got me through crazy, crazy, crazy uh, life of, of uh, tech startups. Uh, but love it, love it, loved, loved it to death. There's no way I could go back. It's not what I need now. And there's a little bit inside of me, which, you know, is uh, a little bit sad about that. The friends I made, the teachers I, wonderful people I met, the uh, retreats we went on and times we had and were marvelous, wonderful. Some of the best times of my life. But there's no way I can go there now. Um, something else is calling. So be open, be, uh, be free to uh, see what uh, require, is required and uh, see what calls. A lot of, um, this is often hardest for, not only for yogis, but you know, professional and pro amateur, the passionate sports people too, your running career or your, um, 
marathon career or your football career or your whatever career has got you to where you are. And now you're at an age maybe where that might not be the case. What do you do? Well, you don't have to stop moving. You have to find different ways. And there's more than, more than enough out there. So stay open, explore. My basic model, if you like, is that I need to have some yang cardiovascular stuff in my life. I need to have some very yin modalities, meditation, yin yoga, sleep. <laughs> Don't forget the sleep. So there you go for your offering um, for today. Be well. See you around.